Let's get into it then. All right. Awesome sauce. I ask that the gods and goddesses of our respective paths bless this circle so that we may be free and protected within this space. And if you have this one word, pagan or paganism. For the pagan community. Exactly. Right. The, the big umbrella. And that was fucking fantastic. Of the best of the podcast of ever. Hey! hey! We're, we're three pagans. Exactly. We're three pagans. And a cat. And may the works this day of be of the highest good for all present and those listening. So mote it be. The circle is cast. Hey folks, CJ Grimm here from Poking Dead Things. It's a hard job doing what we do, and it can get kind of gross. We know that you work hard too, so I'm here to tell you that at the end of a hard day, nothing beats a hot bath and a cold beer. So treat yourself right, head to Twisted Willow Soap Company, and indulge in a bath bomb with your favorite six-pack. Remember, the only girly thing about a bath bomb are the sounds you're going to make in excitement. Twisted Willow Soap Company. Body. Mind. Soul. Every artist dips his brush in his own soul and paints his own nature into his pictures. Welcome to Magical Art, the 97th episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of 19th century minister Henry Ward Beecher. Thanks to Velocity Rose for our intro music. You can find more of their work at VelocityRose.com. You may call me Ode. You can call me Carr. I'm Ode's father. Mary Meet. My name is Gwyn Ode's mother. And you um, won't be hearing much from Carr or I today because we're not artists. Okay, let's start with housekeeping. Oh, yes. Housekeeping. We have one new kitten. Yay, we and love you, kitten. To our kitten. And that's it. Hey. We are house kept. Well, no, because what do you do on Sundays, yeah, Carr? Yeah, oh, yeah, you that's got the true. the regular stuff you got to talk about. So on Sundays, I do a Zoom call from 2 to 4 Eastern Daylight Time. And on Mondays, Gwen does a meditation at 8 a.m. on Facebook Live. And now, on Wednesday evenings from 7 to 8, Gwen is going to be leading a book club. And our first book is How to Be an Anti-Racist. Is that all the housekeeping? Are we housekept? Now, I think we are housekept. Okay, good. So, we're going to be talking about... Magical art today, or yes. I guess probably I'm going to be talking about magical art today. I can tell you about my experiences attempting magical art, right. and that's about my experience with it. So, yeah, this is a this is an ode heavy. D- define episode. art, though. But we'll ask questions. It's it is art is a broad topic. Yeah. So, do, how would you define magical art? From my perspective, two kinds okay. of magical art. There's passive magical art and there's active magical art. Okay. So define the differences between those two for me. So passive magical art is you don't even you aren't necessarily even involved in the process of creating the art. It's part of your environment where you do magic, right? Okay. And the art influences your space and so it influences your magic. Okay. So like if you have portraits of your gods or art that inspires you, or things like that, or music that sets the tone, right. or that kind of thing. That stuff that's involved in your in your magical environment is passive magical art. Oh, I okay. can talk about that shit. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're good. Active magical art is the process of making art to do magic and involving magic. So there is the potential for art for art's sake. Right. Not magical. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, a question I have for you. Because I'm, you know, currently building a tap room right. for the brewery. And part of what I'm doing is making trees. 
Okay. So using chicken wire and spray foam and a lot of carving and some painting. Nice. Neat. To design trees, which I've done in nightclubs before. Mm-hmm. I did that in a preschool class once. <laughs> um, probably not with spray foam. <laughs> no. <laughs> with chicken wire and construction paper, I believe. There you go. So, so could I imbibe magic into doing that for the tap room to go well? You could imbue magic into that. Imbue, okay. And then they would imbibe True. at the tap room. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, and I'm not even imbibing now. I'm still screwed up those two words. But yeah, no, I think you, I think you could definitely. I think with magical art, you want the form of the art to follow the function of the magic. Okay. So I would, for when you're making, since you're making trees, yep. I would, I would focus sort of the intention of the magic around growth and growing things. Yep, yep, mm-hmm. which is exactly kind of my thought process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you could even tap into the spirit of a tree if there's a particular tree that you have in mind mm-hmm. that you're patterning these artistic trees after. Right. You could, you know, and you could like say if it's a pine tree or an oak tree. Banyan. A banyan tree. They're going to be banyan trees. Okay. So you could invoke the spirit of that tree, mm-hmm. of that banyan tree. Or banyan trees generally. Or, mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Exactly. Find out, find out more about what that tree spirit is what it does, what, what it, it does, what it yeah. corresponds to, and just kind of see if you can tap into the spirit of that tree and say, will you help me while, and, as I'm yeah. creating these right. And then you're kind of working the magic in that art. Right. Yeah. Yep. I could so, totally see that happening. Mm-hmm. So could the same thing go for, like, DJing? Yeah, I think so. Like, so when you're doing the mix, you would yeah. you would have, like, a particular emotion or intention that you wanted to produce right. to Which, the so audience. Right, so when I DJed... You know, full time. I mixed progressive house and Arabic music, mm-hmm. and there are twofold reasons for doing that. One was I was in Washington D.C., which has a very large Arabic population. Mm-hmm. But the second one was that Arabic music's rhythms make me happy. Mm-hmm. Right. So more brings, than progressive house even does. Right. It, it builds so up joy. It and builds happiness. up joy and happiness within me. And so by mixing that with, you know, very danceable beats mm-hmm. in Progressive House mm-hmm. and then having the Arabic music mixed into it. You, you're creating an I'm, atmosphere mm-hmm. for I'm the audience. I'm creating an atmosphere for the audience, correct. Mm-hmm. And all real DJs do that. People <laughs> who press play and call themselves a DJ, like at weddings and stuff, <laughs> those I don't think, like literally all they're doing is playing songs back, right. back to back. But <laughs> like when you're creating something out of mm-hmm. multiple right. when you're When you're things. essentially sculpting different sculpting sound sounds. landscapes. And Correct. I think that's a good way to show that um, through our words, through our actions, through our music, and through mm-hmm. our art, I think a lot of people are imbuing mm-hmm. magic or intention into what they're doing unknowingly. Well, and I think that's, I think, the the DJ thing right. is really interesting and a, a good thing to bring up because I think that's true of music generally or mm-hmm. like um, any kind of performance art. That's right. true because there's an extent to which part of that art is is like crowd control, yeah. right? Like it's interaction yeah. with the audience. Sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's very much interaction with the audience. I can say as a, I guess I do have things to say about magical <laughs> art. 
because I am a singer. That's what my degree is in. And one of the things that a singer is doing mm -hmm. is we are communicating through the music. And it's not just the words, but the emotions that are invoked by those words, not only in you, but that you're trying to invoke in the people who are listening. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, and it becomes an experience that is shared if the singer is a good singer. Right. Right. And they're like doing ideally, their job. There's, a, there's a kind of dialogue between the performer and the audience. They're supposed to be, yes. With, with a good, someone who's a good performer who can bring that music to life through, you know, through how they're singing it, through the emotions that they're invoking and presenting to people, and then those people receive it and they give back to the audience. That's why musicians and singers and people get so into their craft and what they're doing, right. why they just continue to do it, even if they're, you know, starving in the streets, mm -hmm. uh, because of that reciprocal relationship that's built between performer and audience. And right. I think the same happens with, with, Art that yeah, you it do. happens. I think it happens with all forms of art yeah. because art is in, is intended to be shared. viewed. Yeah, you know, to be to be experienced. Shared. I guess. Yeah, shared. shared. Yeah. If you're create, like, it's fine to say that you create art just for yourself, and that's like mm -hmm. a, a good ethos to have to to try and create art that you enjoy and that you mm -hmm. want to make. Right. right? Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I don't. I know I've heard of very few artists who don't want someone. Mm -hmm. to experience their work. Right. I can say the same thing as a writer. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you write because you have something to say, mm -hmm. but you want someone to read it and understand or at least attempt to interpret right. what it is that you're saying. And I would say writing's an art because, yeah. like, for me, I suck at that. Like, I'm fine if I'm speaking it. Right. I'm an artist and I don't ever think about it. <laughs> I just do it because I love it. But, you know, it's, it's yeah, not art, something I think art of. Art is not just, like, right. creating visual representation. See, and that's, I think, what why yeah. I was like, I got nothing to say here. I'm, I'm not, not an artist. Because yeah, all of these, all of these, I guess expressions mm -hmm. and interactions are forms of art. Sure. I mean, think about, um, like when you're writing a prayer or an invocation to your, your deities mm -hmm. that, it, which I have a hard time doing. Yeah. <laughs> which is weird since yeah. you write, but I don't write poetry and I right. get, I does get, it have to be poetic. It doesn't. No. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's what trips me up. I right. always feel like it has to be lyrical yeah. and, and poetic and it just doesn't, I, I have difficulty with that. Prose is more mm -hmm. my thing. So write prose prayers. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Give that a try. <laughs> yeah, have, so... There's more magical art out there than we realize. Exactly. It's a broader topic than I think I guess it it seems at first glance. Right. Mm -hmm. I think part of the reason I got stymied, and, and it might be the same for others, is like not that long ago, I was taking a, a magical course, mm -hmm. um, and there was a lot of art, like your kind of art with... Visual art. Visual art with... with calligraphy and uh creating boxes and and paints and and doing things in a physical sp sense of physically creating pieces of art to go with each lesson and i struggled with that mm -hmm. that was super hard for me so maybe that's why i had this blog of like oh god magical Not art this topic. i suck at <laughs> magical art because i had a bad experience of mm -hmm. just attempting to do these things <laughs> i think that Going back to my quote unquote Christian days mm -hmm. with what I did with 24 seven prayer and then the worship thing, yeah. and art nights. So a lot of those things that I did, though I didn't actually create the art, mm -hmm. I created a space for that art to be created, mm -hmm. which is interesting because I don't know that there's anything like that in the pagan community no, there's where, not. you know, 
you could go into a place and listen to some cool music and create either a devotional art or be art for the public, mm-hmm. you know, in a space that is specifically pagan. I think that's a cool idea and something that, you know, somebody who has more time on their hands than right, I do. Time and resources. Uh, to put together because I think it's a great thing. Like it's, yeah, I, the, I, everybody so it's, I always had come to those things always came out of it with very much for them a spiritual high. Right. Um, and, so energized. Right. Energized. So, so explain it. what the 24 seven prayer is. Cause I don't think a lot of people so, certainly outside of Christianity are going to know right. about it. So the 24 seven prayer movement actually started in the United Kingdom, uh, with a guy named Pete Gregg. That um, was early two thousands. Uh, late nineties. Late nineties. Yep. Um, I got involved probably 2000, 2001, probably 2001, started doing it. I was one of the first people ever to do it in the States. I found it randomly on the internet. (laughs) The internet's a wonderful place. Yep. And was like, all right, this is cool. I'm going to start doing this. I had been a nightclub DJ and so I had come out of that. So I was like, all right, well, how can I incorporate like my former life to my life now as a youth youth pastor at a church. That's what you were. Right. So, and I worked at a Christian bookstore. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, So it was very Christian. How do I make my life more creative? (laughs) Right, right. How do I, how do I get back all the shit that I really liked doing Mm -hmm. (laughs) into all this stuff that I kind of like, you know, like I I like working with teens. Yeah, with teenagers, yeah. Like helping them. You like doing that kind of outreach. Yeah, I like them learning from my mistakes, basically. (laughs) Yeah, so it was basically like you would get together to quote unquote pray. Mm -hmm. But most people think of prayer as like folding your hands and getting on your knees Mm -hmm. and closing your eyes, eyes, all that kind of stuff. Like people do with with meditation. They think it's very, it's a very, there's a one specific way to do it. And and, and this, this whole process of this whole thing that came out of the UK was anything can be a prayer. So you can paint, you could sculpt, you could DJ, you could play your bass guitar, you could, whatever it was, so long as you quote unquote did it to God, Mm -hmm. um, then it could be considered a prayer. Um, and it was very eye opening to a lot of people when it started. It's kind of dwindled significantly, Mm -hmm. um, over the last couple of years, but I think that's something that we, we haven't gotten yet into paganism. Like arts, arts being a very big deal of the Christian church, because they were the ones who had the money to like pay the artists mm-hmm. who otherwise would not have made any money. Yeah. So they Yeah, the created... patronage of the church was critically important to right. artists. And so they you know, they paid these artists to create great works of art for the church. Mm-hmm. But then the artists also had time and now money mm-hmm. to go paint something that was Definitely not going to be put up in a church. <laughs> no. I think yeah. you do see like that. you look at Botticelli. Botticelli had these church patrons and he would, you know, he, so he originally had some frescoes in the Sistine Chapel before right. he was overshadowed. Right. Um, He's actually little, still got some in there. He does. Yeah. yeah. But so Botticelli did all these religious paintings, but he also did with the money and time that having church patronage afforded him, he made these mythological paintings like the very, very famous mm. Venus painting. Oh my right. God. Yeah. Now I, I do think, you know, there are a lot of pagan artists out there who are creating things for people to buy and people are incorporating that into their homes for decor or for their, you know, their ritual space. But I don't know. I, I would agree. I don't know if there's a lot of people that are creating art in the sense that what you're talking about. As prayer. As prayer. I guess that's sort of what um the the person who was leading the class that I was taking mm-hmm. online was attempting to do, but it was I was fighting it was that. Too rigid. It was right. too yeah, it felt it was too rigid. Right. And I think yep. some of the strength of the twenty four seven prayer movement was that you create you 
you essentially make a space. Yep. You put a bunch of options in it. Yep. And you just give people free reign. Right. Yeah, and I do think that's what the difference is, is somebody was saying, okay, now create this mm-hmm. for this purpose. Right. As opposed to take some supplies, create, create. a thing. Yeah. Which is wild because you think of Christianity as being the movement that's more rigid. Right. And paganism as being a bunch of movements that are more free. Right. But I think maybe there's a, there's a, there's a craving in paganism, or certainly in certain branches of paganism, for something more structured. Oh, I'd say there's there depending on the tradition. Yeah. There's a lot of so, structure. So I get that, but I think yeah. when you're doing prayer, when you're doing devotion, when you're doing worship, when you're doing these things that are very personal, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or when you're doing magic, when you're doing these things that are very personal, and you're trying to combine that with art, it almost has to be less rigid. Like, right. the yeah. more rules you put in place, the less authentic results you're going to get. And I would say even when you all do magic, because I, I really don't at this point, right. but when you all do spellcraft and you're creating spell bags and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. there is an artistic form to that too. Because yeah. it's not just putting all the shit in a bag, it's how you put it in a bag. That's mm-hmm. true. You know? So I was I was just going to say the exact same thing. I think there's more, even though for some people it's a very rigid process, mm-hmm. I think there's, depending on how you practice your craft, yeah. there there is this room for creativity in your spellcraft that um, I hadn't really recognized mm-hmm. as magical art, but that's definitely what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if the spell you're creating has like a, a product, mm-hmm. right, that you're going to keep long term, mm-hmm. whether that is a spell bag that you're supposed to keep on you, right, or a sigil that you're supposed to keep up somewhere, or I just, or whether you do a sculpture or make one of those bo- those witch jars or whatever. Right, right. I just got a memory from my time, my mentor, uh-huh. when she would tell me magic is a spiritual art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, and just and just you've not examined not it from that angle. Examined yet. <laughs> it from this particular angle. Which mm-hmm. is funny because you got your mentor gave you those that kind of advice years ago, <laughs> like yeah. a decade it's ago, like twenty yeah. years ago, yeah, yeah. twenty years ago. I got that, and so I'm like, oh gosh, yeah. So that's what she meant. Sometimes it just takes a while to unpack. To unpack exactly. <laughs> that's what, what mentors are for. They just plant little seeds and then they walk away. <laughs> the funny thing is, we started off with this episode with Gwen and I won't have much to uh-huh. say, and, and then, we've actually said more than Owen at this I point. I know we've kind of, but it's like no, it's good. This is revelations, good. revelations, yeah. and hopefully maybe people who are listening going, "Oh God, I'm not an artist." Just like I was thinking the same uh-huh. thing. They'll be like. Oh wait, wait. maybe I am and just didn't realize it. Mm -hmm. And it also, it comes down to like people who create soaps and, and Mm -hmm. candles. Well, well, like, and are all our kitchen witches? All our kitchen witches! Yeah. And like, uh, Unity Vibrations. Yes. Right? Oh, so yeah. Unity Vibrations, when they make their kombucha, they actually mm-hmm. place singing bowls around mm-hmm. the bats. Yep. Mm-hmm. So. While it's fermenting. While it's fermenting, yeah. So, I mean, that's, again, that's a piece of art. Yeah. And so just I'm, creating it. Same thing when I'm creating mead or Finn or whoever mm-hmm. else creates mead. Yeah, I think. I if think, you do it with magical intention or with spiritual intention. Right. Yeah, I, I think we're definitely going to have to, I know I am now, expanding my understanding of what magical art is it's much wider than i was giving it i i was making it narrow you were making it into sculptures and paintings and thinking you couldn't do that so you didn't have any investment in magical art exactly finn just said brewing is an art 
Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's why I was saying like kitchen witches. Right. Like, yeah. Like uh, what Leon does. Exactly. Like you you bake a loaf of bread and you put you know a specific specific kinds of herbs in it for certain magical right. intentions and you know if you're real fancy you do one of those little like dough flowers and shit like you can make your bread real fancy I've seen some people go all out oh my right. god <laughs> if I could make a pie like some people with the fancy tops mm-hmm. I'd be such a happy camper right Robert fancy said, knitting and fancy sewing pies. is an art. Yeah. Yes. Yep. And it's actually becoming a lost art among some people because actually among a lot of people, I think there's a lot of young people who don't know how to knit and sew and crochet. and Even just for patchwork. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Much exactly. less for like making. I mean, I couldn't knit garments. or crochet if you put a gun to my head and said, I had to, I, you would just have to, like, uh-huh. I'd have yeah, to be done. Like, well, well <laughs> now sewing, I'd be okay, but... Who was it? I think it was Dorothy Morrison's book that she just re-released on, on cursing, and she talks about quilting as magic. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, when you think about that with the sewing and the intention, and so you could... And, and to update that a little bit, it's even making, like, a mood board... Oh, yeah. ...is art. Well, and I was just thinking about our son, who uh, works with Lou, who is a, mm-hmm. a master craftsman deity, and he tells me that Lou often gives him inspiration mm-hmm. for the projects that he creates when he crochets, yep. right? And or when he create because he also does jewelry and and different types of things, but mostly when he's crocheting, mm-hmm. Lou will give him these intricate. Design yeah, patterns. patterns and and things. Like, I don't know how to do that. Lou. I don't know, but I'll try. You know, so it's uh, yeah, so definitely because a lot of his projects become dedicated mm-hmm. to Lou. Even if they don't start that way, even right, if they don't yeah. start that way, Lou co-ops his projects. Yeah, yeah. And I anecdotally, I've heard a lot of people say that Loki does the same thing. Oh, woodworking, owl's perch. Mm-hmm. I would love yeah. to do woodworking. That always piques my interest in creations on the internet. Yeah. And I'm the same way with woodworking. Like yeah. I have a set of carving tools. Both of my uh, our Yule logs the last two years mm-hmm. have been carved by me. I mm-hmm. have a staff here that I need to at some point actually carve. Yep. And then like we're at a place now where we have a big enough. Space mm-hmm. out, outbuildings yeah. once it's secure, once it's nice, that I can actually start to buy like some more like a lathe yeah. and a you know some, some other things. stuff. Yep. Set up a little workshop area. Exactly. Yeah. Selkie uh, said that their partner is crocheting a blanket for their new house. He's not magical, but it has protective and comforting energy to it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah, definitely. I think even people who are not magical, as I was saying earlier, right, yeah, we've talked about this before. You can sort of do magic without in yeah. really realizing that that's what you're doing if you're putting intention into mm-hmm. something. And Sky Hagen said uh, their fiance says he feels most grounded when he's building his mm. car and spiritual when he's driving. And I think that can be a true mechanic. Yeah, is an artist. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's true. Right? So even somebody who's doing body work and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff on a car, I mean, that's incredible art because you're matching mm-hmm. somebody else's stuff, mm-hmm. which is freaking hard to do. So art restoration right, is yep. one of those incredibly difficult jobs where you have to be a master of, like, a dozen different styles. Right. Mm-hmm. Because you have to be able to perfectly recreate the artist's original intention. Yeah. Sometimes with no evidence of what the artist's original intention was, and you just have to kind of guess from the context around it. Yeah. So, yeah, the same thing with cars. And I think when an individual mechanic gets on, their hands on a car is almost when it becomes... Like it, that it almost that's becomes, when it becomes art. That's when it becomes art. Because yeah. before that, it's a mass-produced product, right? Right, right. But then mm-hmm. a mechanic gets their hands on it, and 
whether they're just replacing a part to make it work better or they're upgrading it or whatever, they're transforming it from this mass-produced product into an individual piece. So here's a question. Okay. Can something that's mass-produced be art? Yes. Okay, so that's that's where I was going because... I think the guys who originally designed, like, say, the bodywork on a car. Right. Mm-hmm. Those right? are artists, for Those sure. Those are artists. And yep. if you look at, like, especially, like, the 50s and 60s, to see the drawings that mm-hmm. these guys came it's up with, of the cars that we never, ever got to actually see. Yeah. The creativity on them is absolutely fucking amazing. I wish they could have made them because... We would be way farther ahead. Our cars would fly by now. It would be Jetsons <laughs> cars. Or at least, you know, we'd have floating hoverboards Hover. or something. Like that. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so I mean, it's, it's those little things where mass produced stuff can be art. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. It isn't necessarily always art. Right, exactly. There's a, I mean, the design process for anything that's been mass produced, there was design and art in that process. Right, yep. The product itself, whether or not it's art, I think depends almost on how you engage with it more than on the product Mm. itself, right? Well, and there's that saying, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Mm -hmm. And I think a a similar thing can be said for what one considers art. Yeah, well, and because art isn't really, like, art doesn't have to be beautiful. Art doesn't have Mm -hmm. to move you. Art doesn't have to, you know, like... Art's a really, like, broad, subjective term. Picasso right. proves that. Right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> to or, you. Or, 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 like, look at music. Who's the one you hate? Bartok? Oh, Bartok. Oh, I love Bartok. Bartok. Yeah, yeah, so do I. Kara and I love Bartok. <laughs> Wynn can't stand Bartok. I, went, I had to sit through an entire Bartok uh, concerto or whatever it was, a concert, and it was, like, very grating on the ears. Now, there, I, I love shouldn't Bartok. say I completely, yep. completely hate it, because there are some, you know, I do enjoy dissonance. In a piece of music, it's just sometimes he went a little over the top for me. Right, Bartok, but but that's why it's like you know some people would say Bartok is not music; it's noise. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. Whereas I fucking, I, I, I fucking love Bartok. I and do would too. Listen to Bartok for an hour, yep. you know. Yep. Um. So for me, that's art. It's art is experiential. Right. right. It's not a product; it's an experience. It's mm-hmm. your experience with something. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and I think that's why, um, you know, like. Let's go really modern music. I'm watching a movie that has good music or or well placed music. So anything by Dan, anything that has Danny Elfman doing the score, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. Well, yeah, not film, necessarily. Film scoring is is that is an art in itself. Yeah. If you've ever watched, like, sometimes you can find these cuts of, like, the dramatic moment or the tear-jerking moment mm-hmm. or whatever in a movie with the music cut out, yeah. but the dialogue all still in, yep. and it really changes the experience of the scene, it does. because we're cued by the music to know what we're supposed to feel about this right. thing. Right, mm-hmm. yep. And then sometimes you get the really brave choice of to no not music. do music. So what's the, the Buffy episode? The body. Spoilers for Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. For, spoilers from 1996. <laughs> um, but in, I think, season five, Joyce, Buffy's mother, dies yes. in an episode called The Body. Mm-hmm. She actually dies in the episode before, and Buffy discovers her body And that in whole body. episode is the reaction uh-huh. to the discovery and there's in her no, death. And so that, that episode is about grief, essentially, mm-hmm. and there's no music anywhere in the whole thing. And, in fact, the music stops the episode before... When Buffy comes home and Joyce is on the couch, right. dead. 
It's the music stops before Buffy even realizes Joyce is dead, and there's no music in the credits, and there's no music the whole next episode through the credits mm-hmm. until the next episode after when they're ready to start right. like getting back into the show. Yep. Mm-hmm. The absence of music there was art. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think and it can be even to take that to the other degree. Mm-hmm. There is also, I believe, an episode of Buffy where they don't talk. Yeah. Yes. And all you have are music. That's called Hush. Yeah, Hush, yeah, Hush yeah. where all you have is the musical cues and the physical acting. Right, right. exactly. You don't have any voice no in dialogue. it. No dialogue. Mm-hmm. So, in Buffy was, re- was really experimenting. They, yeah. they did some really well, artistic all and musical They had a musical episode. episode. They really experimented with audio in, yes, that, in that Well, you got to think, series. even from like the very first episode, they had a live band on stage in the, in the bar scene. Yeah. yeah. Which doesn't normally happen. No, and they and continued gave a, that. Yeah, and they continued that throughout the entire series, which gave a lot of bands a pretty good exposure. Right, yeah. Yeah. did the same thing. Yep. But I want to bring it back around too. We're we're supposed to be talking about magical art, right? Yes. But maybe what the it was what Buffy, the, everything's magical. I know, <laughs> but that's what I'm trying to get around to saying is that maybe there is magic in art, just in the mm-hmm. creation of it. Yeah. Whatever its purpose well, is. Regardless whether it's, of your intention. Regardless of your intention, there is there is a, a you know, a creativity, a spirituality, a magic to art in whatever form or expression that that takes. And it's and the magic is in your experience. The magic is in your experience. Car's making a thinking face. Yeah, well, so the magic crickets, but <laughs> the magic is in the experience of the creator, mm-hmm. right? But the magic can also be in the, the cons- of the audience of, of the consumer. Yeah, right? and that's what I was saying, trying to get at earlier with with singing and with you know the dialogue with performance, right. with that dialogue between the artist and the performer. And I think it's the same thing with a well written book. With uh, a well-written show, an acted mm-hmm. show, right? So yeah, I think there there is, and that was, and when you're looking at something like a show or a movie, and to an extent even like you know, and a stage play, and to an extent even um, a musical performance, because mm-hmm. there was a composer, mm-hmm. there's the the artist on stage, mm-hmm. there's the guy with the little stick. The conductor. conductor. The conductor. <laughs> There's the conductor who's leading the artist. With right? his wand. With his wand. Gotcha. Uh, and all these people are involved in the creation, right? So, like, there isn't a single artist. There right. Are multiple artists working together. Especially if you're talking about a symphony. Mm-hmm. Because a piece of music done by one conductor and one orchestra can be completely different than the same piece of music done by a different conductor mm-hmm. and that same orchestra even. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it really depends on everything. So it depends on the, the person who wrote it. It depends on the conductor, it, on the musicians that are there. Mm-hmm. The like space if, you're in. Like if the first chair violinist is out for the night and the second chair has to move over, then you end up with a, different a slightly experience. different experience. Well, let's le- go at all the let's go all the way back to um, some of our greatest composers. The instruments were different back then. Right. Yes. So the experience... And the air quality was different back then. And the halls True, yeah. were different. Yeah. So um, what might have been heard mm-hmm. in, let's say, uh, a Mozart concerto, mm-hmm. then, when it was originally written, is completely different, and, most likely, and than what we are experiencing today. So, yeah. so I, I read a, a piece, I think it was an op-ed, by... A art historian who was saying, who specializes in music, who was saying, I will never actually be able to perfectly recreate mm-hmm. one of Mozart's 
symphonies mm-hmm. as he intended it to be heard. Mm-hmm. Because I cannot perfectly recreate the circumstances he was living in. That's right. right. That's yep. right. Absolutely. And that's so, yeah. true of all art. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So And so, like, <laughs> all right, we said we this was going to be a fluffy episode, but I'm going to bring up JKR real quick. Sure. Okay, yep. yeah, let's, let's so, talk about so JKR. So sometimes... Your, yeah, yeah, well, sometimes your experience of the art changes because you have new information about right. how it was created, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. So, like, the Harry Potter books were a formative part of my childhood, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But I do feel differently about them with the knowledge that J.K. Rowling is a transphobe, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. That, a raging turf. That changes my experience of the books. I right. still love them. They were still important to me. But it does influence my yeah. interaction with I, that art. I think the same thing can be say can be said with uh Marion Zimmer Bradley and the Avalon mm-hmm. yeah. the missing yeah. Avalon book. Yep. A lot of people are still to this day, and that was what, two and a half, three years ago. Yeah. When we first started our podcast and we were talking about mm-hmm. yep. um, episode two. Yeah, episode that's episode two, two yeah. having to do with her daughter and, and son and the abuses they endured. they endured. But people are saying, but but that 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 art, that that mm-hmm. story was so important. And mm-hmm. everyone has to make like an indi- like there's not a blanket. No, you have, no. Yep. you have to make an individual choice about how that affects your relationship with the work. But I right. think there there is that magic of art in like the Harry Potter books, in the Zimmer books or Zimmerman books, you know, because they grow beyond their their original author's mm-hmm. intention. Based on what people are reading and the intention that they get out of it, how they, right. interpret, how they it. interpret it, what it what it means to them. The same can be th- said about J.R.R. Tolkien, about C.S. Lewis, right. you know, with the Chronicles of Narnia and H.P. Lovecraft, and even like when Robin Williams died, mm-hmm. I stopped being able to, to watch, watch Robin Williams films yeah. I did. for years. Yeah, yeah, I did not watch his films until this year. Yeah, because yeah, it was just this year. It yeah. was just too much. Like right. it was just like the way he died because he killed himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The like that hit me hard enough that I just couldn't engage with his art anymore for Alice, a long time. Alice Perch makes a good point. Or even just artists that engage in domestic violence or whatever crime, R. Kelly, Harry Harvey Weinstein productions, etc. Yeah, yeah. It tarnishes their art. And then you have to make the decision. Yeah. Can you move past right. the artist? Mm-hmm. And there's, I don't want to say an obligation necessarily, because how you enjoy the media you consume is up to you. Right. But for me, knowing that person's, that author's mm-hmm. biases, mm-hmm. issues, flaws, yeah. Yeah. right, means that when I read that text or engage with that work in the future, mm-hmm. I have that awareness of those flaws in the back of my mind. And so sometimes I see things differently. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, things that pass the smell test the first time yeah. through don't pass the smell test the second time. You know, I honestly don't know that I could read J.K. Rowling's works anymore. You know, I don't think I could read the Harry Potter books or anything that she's written since. Mm-hmm. But I did just finish enjoying all the movies. The movies, yeah. And I thought about it it's because they were interpreted they were one step removed. They were one step removed from her. There was a screenwriter who wrote all of those scripts. And as we were just talking about, there were a whole bunch of other artists involved. Exactly. Right, yeah. And so he took what he felt was the story mm-hmm. and, the core a, of it. and the core of the story and adapted it. And it's really... And then all the actors and the stage crew and the film scoring. and So for me, the movies 
are are actually removed from her. It's kind of funny because I think if I read the books right now, I would see Emma Watson. I would see, yeah. you, you know, Rupert Grint. Them. I would yeah. see, mm-hmm. you know, all of those actors in my mind's eye as I was reading the book. So it would become more theatrical for me, although I read theatrically anyway. Mm-hmm. So no matter what I read, oh, I almost see, yeah, I imagine yeah. it as yeah. a movie. You have a strong theater um, of the mind. But, but because we have those ingrained images, it becomes less J.K. Rowling to me. Right, it becomes and, less her book and more... And more, right, the right. actors who actually performed... That's interesting. ...the parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, let's face it... Although Ellen, they're not getting money off of it, so... Right. Yeah. yeah. Alan Rickman created the Snape. role of Snape. Snape, essentially, yeah. 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 Kara so. Luhu says, I agree with Ode on how art changes. Things like the girls' dorms not allowing in boys reads differently knowing how transphobic JKR is. Yeah, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yep. Stuff that, like, it seems fine when you're reading it and you're 12, but when you're 29 and you know that J.K. Rowling is a transphobe, it's Owl, different. <laughs> Owl's Perch also makes a good point. This is true. All the rape culture in 90s music and movies is very interesting to watch now with the new awareness of the Me Too yes. movement. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm sitting here. I'll watch a movie that I've loved for decades and go, and oh, like, my God. Right? Yeah. And, like, it's the nostalgia, your memory of it, you sort of skim over the parts that are objectionable to mm-hmm. you now, right? Mm-hmm. But you go back and watch it, and it's there in black and white or well, technicolor even, or whatever, and you're like, oof. Even Good Morning Vietnam, a Robin Williams yeah. movie, he's super stalkery in that. Yeah, mm-hmm. there are he does get lot, over it, but there are a lot. <laughs> like, of, holy shit! Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there's um, um, uh, an essay on YouTube called "Abduction as Love," mm-hmm. and it's deconstructing all those tropes right. from the 80s and 90s, where you know the masculine love interest right is it's stalking. stalking or just straight up kidnapping yeah. mm-hmm. the yeah. the female love interest, and this is regarded in the text mm-hmm. as completely fine and normal. Right. So to bring this again back to our magical theme, right? Yes, we got a little <laughs> our magical art theme. How then d- it is is this changing the magic of these uh, creations? I think... It's going to depend on the person. Yeah. I, and, of course, this is a loose term of, of magic. For right. Well, and I, I think it's the person consuming it at that mm-hmm. point. It's it's your interaction yep. with that. Rather than mm-hmm. the original creator. Mm-hmm. So, like, I see a huge difference personally mm-hmm. between R. Kelly mm-hmm. and Harvey Weinstein. Totally believe Harvey Weinstein's a piece of shit. Totally believe R. Kelly's a piece of shit. Okay. Okay? Equal, so equal levels of Equal levels of pieces, pieces, pieces of, of shit. shit. But R. Kelly performs live on stage and is who you pay attention to. Mm-hmm. He's in the music videos. Mm-hmm. Harvey Weinstein was the money behind. Yeah. He wasn't getting, the artist himself. He wasn't the artist himself. So the stories weren't his mm-hmm. most of the time. The actors weren't who he chose. The So for me, that's I see that as differently. So I mm-hmm. have less of an issue watching a movie that Harvey Weinstein produced. And I don't even look for it. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't listen to an R. Kelly song now if you paid me. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, join our tiger, Alora Driver, who creates art with their music of Aqua Girl. Aqua Girl is an indie pop musician with a very chill, listenable synth tone, married to lyrics that are by turns hopeful and honest. All of Aqua Girl's tracks have their charms, but Odes suggests Victim, the first track from Aqua Girl's new album, The Woods, a snappy rejection of gaslighting and victim blaming. You can find Aqua Girl at 
aqua-girl.bandcamp.com. I'm going to build myself up. I'm going to get so fucking strong. Make you wish you'd never threatened me with violence when you said to me, I am not the one who hurt you. I'm just a victim. And you know we love Aqua Girl. We love Aqua so Girl. we definitely want you to listen and, and purchase mm-hmm. and support Aqua yep. Girl. Her Al's Perch question is, could we also hold that same perspective upon tarot decks then? The same colors and shapes you find in the decks are really boring, but still sell better than, say, a mostly gay men's deck. Obviously, there's a huge range of tarot decks available, and... And we own most of them. I own that many. Is not, no, even, not, even, not, <laughs> even not even close to true. I know people who own way more decks than um, we do. I would say there are thousands of decks, oh, yeah. and I have, mm-hmm. like, 15. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, so obviously there's a huge range, and I personally do at least partially choose my decks based on what the art looks like. Sure. Mm-hmm. That's who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, the I, reason why you have the Starman exactly. deck. Exactly. That's right. There are several decks that I've picked up just because I was like, these are pretty. But, but see, I, I feel like the same thing goes for me, but I feel like it's because the art of a specific deck is speaking to me. Sometimes that's true, but I have 15 decks, and I'm here to tell you that some of them are just pretty, pretty, and that's it. <laughs> Fair enough. And I think, again, this is on the consumer's end. Yeah. Right? So everybody who creates a tarot deck is an artist in their own right mm-hmm. if they're doing the art portion of the tarot deck. Or if they're doing the definitions because right. we just yeah, got that, done that's saying yep, yeah. yep. that's an art form. Writing is art. Yep. And so so that that's art for art's sake. Right. But or sometimes it's also art intentionally intentional. yep. mm-hmm. But I think on the consumer end is where you have to decide, do I buy this deck or do I buy mm-hmm. this deck because it speaks to me more because it has gay men in it mm-hmm. or they're African American and, and, and with Tarot decks, especially if you intend to use them rather than just displaying mm-hmm. them, because mm-hmm. some people do buy tarot decks just to display. Really? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. oh, art's so pretty. Some um, of them are but if, if you're if you're buying a tarot deck to use it, the art should, because you're going to have to use this deck to interpret with, mm-hmm. right? The art that's on the card should match or illuminate or illuminate. Yeah, your interpretation of that card, and that's right. where a lot of times, if the artist, you'll see an artist, a writer teaming together to create a deck. And sometimes, though, you'll get a deck because you think it's pretty and you want to use it, and then you get the deck home, right. and it doesn't speak to you. Right. And some of this is because you usually don't get to see the full deck, mm-hmm. right? Before you get it out yeah, of the you box, don't actually get to hold. So, it. so I've sometimes picked up a deck that I've I've seen like. You can, you usually see one or two cards on the back and like a card on the cover. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I picked it up having seen those three cards and been like, yeah, this drives with me. I can understand those interpretations of the cards. And then I open it up and like the other mm-hmm. like 90 some cards don't work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, That's happened to me before. Yeah. And then it's just, you know, oh well, because that interpretation process at least for me, mm-hmm. does rely on the art. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. It's it's a visual symbology. Same. And and this is part of why interpretations vary from deck to deck, because the symbology differs. Yeah. And so, so like, I'm not a gay man, so I don't know that a, a tarot deck that was 
composed of gay men right. would work for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm interested in the idea... Like, I've seen various queer tarot decks, and I'm interested in the idea of them, but so far I haven't found one that's been close enough to my experience of queerness right. that mm-hmm. I would be able to interpret with it. So right. I get those decks. So that would technically, you know, tarot decks Sigil, that people yeah. create... That's a form of, of magical art, mm-hmm. obviously. Yeah, and um, so sigils that we use now, especially if you use the spare method, mm-hmm. that was created by Austin Osmond Spare. Mm-hmm. He was a 19th century draftsman and painter. He was mm-hmm. an artist. He was an artist. His first show, uh, his first exhibit was when he was 17, and he was at the Royal College of Art at the time. And he got... <laughs> so, so the Royal College of Art had like a real specific style that it was trying to teach. And it was not Austin Osmond's fair style. <laughs> and so he got picked up by uh, a, a couple of other artists who were older than him, established artists. And they brought him into a gallery and showed his work. And he received all these accolades and these really good reviews and things that people were saying, like, oh, he's going to be like a rising star in the art world. Uh, and then he left the Royal College of Art the next year with no Backing. no degree. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and he went into, he did book plates and illustrations and things like that. Um, and he wrote occult books. He got, uh, he, he was briefly hooked up with Crowley. They hated each other. <laughs> um, and it did not last. Um, but he continued to work in occultism and mm-hmm. he sort of founded his own sort of magical religious philosophy. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what sigils the whole way we do sigils now, anything that's based on the spare method, comes out of Austin Osmond Spare, Mm -hmm. who his art is really interesting. It was probably like, it was like pre-surrealist surrealism. Okay. Which, he was basically ahead of his time by like 30 years. (laughs) Uh, Somebody had to be. Right. right. Actually, more than 30 years. Because by the time surrealism was like picking up the, the pace in the UK was post-World War II, and during World War II, his house was bombed in the Blitz, and he was homeless for the rest of his life, basically. Yeah, yeah. Huh. But he continued to make art and show at galleries and things, mm-hmm. and, like, towards the end of his life, like, people were writing articles like, hey, does anyone remember Austin Osmond Spare? He basically was the father of surrealism before there were any surrealists. Huh. <laughs> So, so most people use his method to create. If you, sigils. if your method of making a sigil involves a sentence that you break down into letters and then you combine those letters, mm-hmm. you're using some form of the spare method. Yep. Gotcha. And so, I, I know a lot of people use sigils in their work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's cool. I don't use a lot of sigils because, again, that's it's that whole... It's just not working for you. Not well, working and for art thing. Yeah, but you just go to Ode and say, hey, we need a sigil for this or a binder for <laughs> that's that. That's true. I do. Ode I creates do. it. I, I say, help, oh, artist <laughs> of mine. Right. I, I need a sigil. To be clear, you don't have to be an artist to make sigils. And that it's not true that I haven't ever made a sigil. I made a few sigils for when I was at work, mm-hmm. and they were very basic, and they worked for me. Yeah, and that's and all a sigil needs to do is work I, for you. Yeah, because I think sometimes, um, again, referring to that class that I took, they there was also sigils in mm-hmm. there, and it felt very confusing and all and they were very pretty mm-hmm. and stuff but 
I just kept thinking, like, I can't do that. I, I think I was sabotaging myself. Yeah, it sounds like yeah. maybe you had a, um, a self-defeating attitude. I did have a <laughs> self-defeating attitude. Although, the one thing that I did make that I really enjoyed was a box that I, I keep ritual items in. And I it was a cigar box that I got for free, and I painted it. that black and red box? Yeah. Yep. I painted it, and I because I can't draw the symbol, I... Printed the symbol and cut it out and pasted it onto the box. And I put, I, because I'm a bedazzler kind of person, I put some Darn. bedazzle on there. And for me, that was very satisfying because it was to a deity. Right. And it was done with a very specific magical intention. Um, and it was a crafty work. And, and it was a crafty works that I could actually do because it didn't require draftsmanship. draftsmanship. It didn't require sculpting abilities. It was painting and gluing and... I could and pasting and I could do that. <laughs> and just so everybody knows, Gwen does not bedazzle my jeans. No, I don't. Putting that out there now. I don't even bedazzle my own jeans. <laughs> so, but I do like but, I do like sparkle. You like the, she the, likes sparkle. The kind of like crafting that you do is the kind of crafting you taught. That's true. To preschoolers. That's yeah. true. Yep. I, I yeah. That's exactly. <laughs> so yes, I am at a level of preschool art. <laughs> <laughs> I do enjoy preschool art. That was one of my favorite things to do with the children that I taught because, you know, we had all kinds of learning educational things that we did. And, you know, whether it was English or maths or history or whatever, I always tried to bring an art project into it because I had a kinesthetic learner Mm -hmm. as a child, my youngest. And so I learned how to incorporate that kind of creative doing stuff, doing stuff into a lesson about English. And, and things like that. And so, yeah. So, yeah. I'm still so, at that preschool level of art. <laughs> so, would you say there was magic in teaching kids with art? Yes. I would. Because the one... That's one of the things that I, I really enjoyed about teaching is that learning through doing, learning by experience, sharing that experience with these kids. And I do think it is an art. I don't think anybody, just anybody can be a teacher. Mm-hmm. I think it is an art. Can confirm have had very bad teachers. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. not, not like if I taught, it would have been high school, not the age that Gwen taught. Cause yeah. I just want to kill him. Yeah. I, I primarily worked with four year olds. Yeah. Who I still think are awesome. It's an awesome age to work with. Disagree. <laughs> Wholeheartedly disagree. But that's funny because I'd never realized. But yeah, that's that's my level of art. Of yeah. art, you know, is cutting, pasting, and things like that. Yep. <laughs> Sticking gems on it. Sticking gems on it, making look pretty. Yep, exactly. But we had good times. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Uh, you and that box is pretty. And you know what? When you and I make flower crowns, yeah. Oh, I love to make flower crowns. And those we usually make for um, some kind of sabbat for holidays, yes. for holidays, yeah. ritual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Rabbit is saying collage is a legitimate. Oh, absolutely! Form. Yes. And Ode is. Uh, hmm. I almost went to school for collage. Yeah, that's right. Ode's very good very, at collage. Very good. At collage. I started doing collage when I was in high school, and I think sophomore year, because it was one of the very few lessons that my AP art instructor mm-hmm. gave us. He mostly just sort of gave us control of the room, right, and let us make whatever. But occasionally, we would get like, everyone's going to make this. And you have three weeks. <laughs> right. Um, here's a basic lesson on how this works. Go forth. Um, so he gave us a collage uh, assignment one time. And, like, I loved it. 
Mm-hmm. So I did collage almost exclusively all the mm-hmm. way through high school. Yeah. Like I did some sketching and stuff, and I did some I did some painting. I did some work with gouache. Yep. Yeah. But I did a lot of collage, and it, that was mostly what my portfolio yeah, was when I graduated. So when I went to a portfolio day in Chicago, in Chicago, where you display your portfolio to various art schools, it was zombies and collage. It was zombies and collages. And um, some of them were the same. And some of the collages were about zombies. So I took I took that portfolio with me, and the school where we were, where it was hosted, yep. was the um, University of the Arts Institute of Chicago, yep. UICA. Um, and I wasn't planning to show my portfolio nope. to them, but the line for the school I did want to show my portfolio to wasn't was moving. super long. So I, I showed my portfolio to this school because there was no one in the line. Um, and I was like looking to waste some time and I got a like provisional acceptance, acceptance. into the collage program yeah. there. I didn't end up attending cause it's super expensive, Yep, but that was a cool experience. So yeah, I totally support collage. It's tricky because you're in this sort of gray area mm-hmm. with legality because you're in a fair use category. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to be really careful about how you source your images right. and the degree of, um, of of alteration and manipulation that you do. Collage is a really, really cool art form that I encourage anyone to get into. You can do collage physically with like cut out magazines, but you can also do digital collage. Think about using collage as spell work. Yes, that would be very cool. And collage is something Gwen could do because it's cutting and pasting. Yeah, I could. Right. right. So, new art form for you. Right there. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So, I recommend collage to, to anybody. It's a really cool, I hate saying stuff like this because I've been fooled by it before, but I feel like collage is sort of, um, it's a very accessible art form, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to say it's like an intro level art form because obviously there are some master collage artists. You mean like Pendulum? Right, exactly. Right, okay. But, and, and obviously there are like different degrees of, of success right, in yep. collage. Yeah. But I think it's really accessible because you don't have, like you can flip through a bunch of magazines, right, and right. find a bunch of mm-hmm. images that spark something in your brain. Yep. Rabbit just shared, use collage to make a magical vision board. What yes. a great idea. And that, you know, whether it is... So uh, a vision board or a mood board is like a semi-collage. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Although you could make it collage You could make it more collage yeah. Um I think the way they tend to be presented is really simple, and there's not enough alteration of the form for it to qualify as collage. Right. Certainly for not, for it to qualify as fair use. But um, once you start getting into, like, layering and removing things from their original context, then yep. you're into fair use collage. Yep. And I think you could make a very effective spell creating a, with collage and a, you know, a a vision board, if you will. Makes you wish we hadn't got rid of all those magazines. It's okay. I cut out all the pictures I wanted before. Oh, did you? Yeah, I have, (laughs) I have three huge um, manila envelopes. Just full of pictures. Just full of pictures. Yeah. Of like, because I got you like 50 years of National Geographic. National Geographic. Yeah. Yeah. And I have like fashion magazines. And the the thing with collage is you have to have a lot of base material. That's true. And Finn just said, just a random thought I had. My wife is a cosmetologist and that is an art. Art. Oh, that is. Makeup, hair, anything. It's not an art I can do. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I find it to be an art. <laughs> part, is my, done, part is my hair. <laughs> having done not just Oates hair, but my own hair for That's you know, true. forty yeah. something years. Car car could have gone into hairdressing. And definitely with makeup. And it was a consideration at uh-huh. one point in my yep. life. When you see what artists what makeup artists yeah, what really yeah. skilled makeup artists really skilled. Too, yeah. 
makeup artists, absolutely. Or even just go on YouTube, find one of those makeup yeah. channels. Mm-hmm. Some of those right. people are wild. Exactly. So it, it really does come down, I think, as most magic does, to intention and how you mm-hmm. use it and pull it all together, especially if you're if you're spellcrafting. Yeah. But I, I can definitely see how to improve upon what I'm doing, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, spell- or to, at least to expand on. To expand, yes. Maybe not improve, but to expand on what I'm doing in spellcraft to include some intentional art. Mm-hmm. Another way to consume magical art would be to join our Tiger Kelly on a visit to Tree Wizard Creations, where you can find custom engraved creations for all paths. They are for unique gifts and tools for altar, home, practice, and family. In addition to their standard product range, they offer custom commissions. If you can dream it, the wizard will create it. Contact them at treewizardcreations at gmail.com, follow them on Facebook, or go to treewizardcreations.com to find their website. And they're forgetting they have a website now. They do, and they have some lovely, lovely things. And wizard is spelled, because I always misspell it, W-Y-Z-A-R-D. Mm-hmm. Wizard. Definitely wiser. check them out. Tree wiser. <laughs> tree wiser. That's uh, that's it. That's what I'm calling them from now on. <laughs> no, tree wiser creations. That's right. That's right. Full disclosure: the the cover that's on the episodes for the podcast. Yep. And that's on the um, the header and that mm-hmm. we use on all our materials. Yep. Of that that brown with the gold and the black and mm-hmm. so it's a tree. Um, you can't always see it depending on how it's been framed, right. but. That was a piece of magical art that I did because I was coming out of like a like a two year long depression essentially, and I had a couple of art supplies left over from back when I had been making art regularly before I was depressed, mm-hmm. and so I wanted to make something that would be that would represent sort of breaking free of that stagnation and um, sort of recreating myself, and so I had this broken gold pen and. One remaining black micron that still had ink in it, and a few pages of this brown paper. Uh, and so I made this, and it was a real ordeal because the micron ink was fine. That I had enough of. But the gold ink pen had broken before, mm-hmm. and I had, like, sort of fixed it. The nib had gotten fucked up. Mm-hmm. So I got, like, halfway through this piece... And the nib fucked up again. <laughs> and it started either not releasing any ink or releasing just a splotch of ink. Which I fortunately discovered while I was testing it on another sheet. So I didn't fuck up my piece. But what I ended up having to do for the second half of this piece was just like splotch some paint, some gold ink onto a, a spare a sheet and use a paintbrush yeah. to paint it on the 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 piece which fucked up a paintbrush right irrevocably because mm-hmm. it's not meant for that it's kind a beautiful of beautiful paint right. though yeah so so it was a real ordeal to make but the end result was was pretty good i think and it served that function for me it helped mm-hmm. me break out of that stagnant period and sort of make a clean break from my depression and re-engage with my creativity. creativity. Yep. Well, one of the most beautiful pieces of art you've ever made for me, and you've made several, is that uh, essential oils box oh, that yeah. is dedicated to Brigid. And it's, you know, on the top, on all the sides, 
it uh, has different representations of, of symbols of Brigid. And, and that was actually a collaborative effort because Carr and I worked on that together. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't do any of the actual painting. Right. I did the painting, but Carr, A, it was Carr's idea in the first place, so he bought the box, mm-hmm. and then it came, and we were like, this is really plain. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's a plain box. Just a really boring box here. It's functional, but not nice to look at. So then Carr and I worked together to do some research on, because at the time, the only goddess Gwen was working with was Brigid. So we did a lot of research on Brigid yep. and a lot of brainstorming on what we could put on the different faces of this. And I think and it was your we, idea to do the seasons. Yep. And then we went shopping together and yep. bought all the and stuff. And bought all the paint and the mirrors. And the and colors things. and everything, yep. yeah. Well, you know, I'm going to be buying more essential oils in that box. <laughs> <laughs> So you can do a Hecate box uh-huh, for yeah. me. <laughs> and maybe, you know. When you ask for it, you're box. not going to get it. <laughs> it has no, to be seriously. spontaneous in my head. Right. <laughs> but seriously, it is it is one of the most beautiful pieces. And it, it not only serves a function in, in holding essential oils mm-hmm. for me, and it is literally full, um, but it's, it's a beautiful piece of art in our home. Right. Yeah. And it's um, also devotional. Yeah, it's, and it's devotional. Yeah. It's actually in the the uh, altar room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are some examples. Yeah. I um, guess of of magical or spiritual mm-hmm. art. Laura Tempest-Zakroff is yes. obviously a, a very popular pagan artist. Yep. She does amazing. Yeah. She does some really art. really good devotional art. Yeah. Beautiful devotional art. She also has a tarot deck that just came out. Yep. She's got a lot of stuff. She's, She's got, got a, a lot. Yeah. Yep. In fact, I have her calendar hanging on our wall. So yeah, she's she's another one. And Box of Rain. Yes. Yeah. Magnolia Rains. Thank you. Magnolia Rains. She truly does, has an artistry yep. with her with her products. With yeah. her products and the energy she imbues into those products. I think that's true of everybody though who Yeah, like symbolry. Symbolry. Yep. Um yeah, Paul from Arts and Craft. Yep. Yeah, the um because he's a master incense blender as well, just like Chris And a blacksmith. Yep. Yeah. And a blacksmith, yeah. Yep. So, yeah, so Paul creates these magnificent uh, wands mm-hmm. and swords and daggers and yep. burns and... Yeah, he's really been branching out on yeah. his... At the uh, maze and things like that. But he also, he and, and Pat together create uh, Luna Ignis Loose Incense, mm-hmm. yep. which is just their... Every single one is unique and has a lot of power. I've, I've taken his incense blending mm-hmm. classes, so I know what the process is, and he imbues it with specific intention. Right. Every single one. And incense making is an art. It is an art form. Well, even just like... Just knowing, like, what thing... A... The portions. Well, and you have to know... What they smell like when they're not on fire. Yeah. Right. And whether they will still smell nice together when they are on, on fire. fire yeah. Well, and that's like with symbolry incense, the stick incense. Mm-hmm. It's that honestly, it is the only stick incense I use now. Yeah. yeah. Because it is so well done and it burns so beautifully. And Chris just has an amazing gift mm-hmm. for creating yeah. that incense. It's incense the same thing points. with like Amanda at Wonderful Body Co. Yeah. You know, who creates scents and mm-hmm. bath salts yep. and Beard stuff. I mean, all kinds right. of things. Maybe soap at some point. Yeah, soap. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all of those things, and and the fact that all of her stuff is based on, other than us right now, I think right. is is based on like literary characters. Mm-hmm. Yep. Be they comic and or. Yeah. So you're looking at her interaction with that art mm-hmm. right. is informing her creation of this art, right. which right. you will then interact with. Right. Exactly. Right. And, and then, the same thing. So like three pack. You know, we have our own sense, mm-hmm. and they're mm-hmm. based on not just our paths, 
but who we are as people mm-hmm. as well. She's done the same thing for another podcast too. Yep. And yeah. um but also jewelry makers, you know, yep. they they have a and especially uh I think those who create jewelry that is intended for ritual wear. Yeah, so I understand why this happened, mm-hmm. but at um at MPF last year, I think they had the the vendors area, yep. and they had an artist area. Yep. And I understood why those things were separated out a little bit, because you're sort of looking at different products. Mm-hmm. But right, the artist like, area got kind of ignored. Exactly, mm-hmm. and yep. and it's not that the stuff in the vendor hall wasn't art, because right. it was, you know. Yeah. Uh, that stuff was art. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of an awkward right delineation. Think, yeah, and I think it was. Just, I, I honestly believe it was a space issue, yeah. and they had to come but up with something. This, but, but they do yeah. the same thing I've in Convocation, seen. where they have right. a little yep. art room, the and then cor- they have gallery the corner. Okay, the the, there, there's there's a reason why Convocation does that. Okay. So the art room is because you don't want to have a table and have to stay with it. So it gives you a, a way to show your wares without mm-hmm. having to have any responsibility for it. Okay. Because that's all handled by the MEC. Okay. So... And it also tends to be the pricier stuff in there. It can be, yeah, but it's but not always. I mean, we bought that That's little mm-hmm. uh, plush thing for our son. That's true. I guess I think about um, arts and crafts display in the right. art and, room, which does tend, tend to be like, like a staff. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah Paul, <laughs> Paul tends to bring his most expensive stuff uh-huh. to put in there, um, but and they really don't sell their incense as mm-hmm. part of that because it has to be, although their incense is crafted, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but. It's just a way to not have to like, okay. and, it, and for for Pat and Paul, it they gives already them, have a story. Yeah. But but it gives them the opportunity to actually take a week and not do mm, anything. That's true. Yeah. So, yeah. Because last year they did not have the, or this year they did not have the. Right. Um, they were just in the art. Right. Yep. Yeah. So. Yep. So okay. I yeah. I think though, a lot of times people do separate out art, like what you traditionally think of as yeah. art. From and then crafts. from crafts and things that you would incense or oils jewelry. or jewelry or, you know, spell bags and things art. like that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, when you really stop to think about it. Yeah. Um, I think it, that's, that's an unnecessarily narrow way to view it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's all art. And it's a bit elitist, let's be honest. Yeah. You know, to be like, hmm, these paintings are arts, but this crocheted bat is not, you right. know, like. <laughs> <laughs> but I gotta say, the crocheted bats are fucking awesome. They're very cute. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> I then, can't remember who oh, makes them. That that would be open my chest. friend Amy, yeah. and that would be Open Chest. Yeah. Of, open Chest Studios. Yes, Open yep. Chest Studios yep. makes amazing handcrafted yarn dragons yep. and crocheted peacocks and, peacocks and, all, and all kinds of, of yeah. amazing yep. And it's art. Yep. It but it doesn't art. get put in the art section, right? It doesn't right. get put in that category. Right. That's an elitism thing. Yep. That is. Yeah, that's true. And we buy our candles from the dollar store. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think that, you know, it doesn't matter where you get your art, you can use it for devotion yeah. if, oh, yeah, if you see it, it's being devotional. Well, yeah. and that's one of the great things, too, about, like, those, I, I use a, a marker, uh, you know, a Sharpie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, especially if that's I have. That's where my Sharpie went. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you, you know, if there's. No shame. <laughs> nope. <laughs> if there's a specific deity, I want to dedicate a candle to mm-hmm. or a specific rune or something that I'm using for a spell or if I have a sigil that I've actually created mm-hmm. myself I use a sharpie on one of those glass yeah, yeah. candles that you can get for a dollar at the dollar store put it on the and outside. then put it on the outside right 
and then it's it becomes it it elevates it to something a little yeah. bit more. It's not just a pillar candle. It's not just happens. a pillar candle. It is a spell candle, or it is a a deity candle. Or right. It's like awesome. when you dress candles or things like that. Yeah. Anytime that you put which your, is also often an artistic process. Yes, because you, you want it to look nice. You want it to look nice, but also you want it to have intention, and mm-hmm. and so you put your energy forth into that. Okay, I think that's all I had. I I don't know how much more we can say about magic, art, and how they work together. <laughs> the confluence but, of these things. But I do want to encourage people, um, especially writers out there, people like me who, when you you get stymied, like, mm, I can't do that. I can't do that because you're thinking, you're thinking, you know, fine art, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I was. And remember, it can be something. It can be something like a crocheted bag, or it can be a box that's been painted and bedazzled, but is... Or it can be a, a, an essay you write. Or an essay, or, or a blog post. Or a song you sing. That's or right. Or whatever. And yep. Absolutely. However or you... Or a bunch of spray foam and a hot knife. Mm-hmm. That's right. It, it really does depend on what our intention is for this art and what we choose, who we choose to share it with mm-hmm. and what we're trying to communicate with it. All right, so that's it for this episode. I yeah. Think so. I all right, think so. so if you all want to know more about us, you can Google us. Just the number three, Pagans and a Cat. He's gotten so fucking lazy. <laughs> you know this already. <laughs> so fucking lazy. She used to do this whole spiel. Go back to our early episodes when he was Mr. Professional. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter at three underscore, you know, whatever it was. Pagans, yeah. Three yeah. underscore Pagans. Three yeah. underscore Pagans. And all this stuff that you used to do, but no. No, now it's just fucking Google us. Just Google us. Just Google us. As we say, Finn's about, Finn's typing. Finn says Google, Google us. Google yep. yep. Just Google well, Honestly, if you Google us, you find, you find all, all of our those. shit. That's so, true. I think they it, even find the Pathios. Yeah. And so true. it takes me a whole lot less time to uh-huh. say it. That's true. And makes the ending shorter. It's more efficient. And and now this is not because we've been talking about it this whole time. We've unnecessarily and, extended. The and ending. Ode will not cut this out this time. No. Because, no. Yeah, Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Goodbye. Right, goodbye. We goodbye. love you. Go make art. <laughs> For art's sake. Hold on. <laughs>